It's Tuesday, October 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. As you can probably tell from the ambient noise, we're not in the studio. We're in Denver, Colorado, and we're here for our member event. Unfortunately, I'm not alone. Producer Dan Boyd, not behind the glass, just sitting right next to me. And I'm here with Aaron Bush and Matt Argusinger. Thanks for being here, guys. Hello. Hello. So, uh, a couple of things. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with the market, though, because we get off the plane this morning. I don't know about your email. My email starts blowing up with, uh, you know, news flashes, market tanking. Two Dow components, 3M and Caterpillar. And Caterpillar is the one that's really getting attention because that stock is down more than 7% because Caterpillar came out and warned basically everyone, hey, the cost of what we make is going up because the cost of steel is going up and this all plays into tariffs. And Aaron, I'll just start with you. This is, I mean, tariffs are an issue that I think increasingly investors both at The Motley Fool and around the world um, are starting to grapple with. How do, you, how do you think about tariffs? Because this is starting to affect a lot of different companies. Yeah, I mean, tariffs are starting to be in the headlines more. I think just if you think about what type of companies that it tends to affect, though, it tends to be the companies selling big physical goods that pass their borders. And I think a lot of focus gets put on those companies, but most other companies are fine, especially as we turn into a more digital economy, more services. Those types of things don't have the same level of tariffs. Plus, just if you look bigger picture and look across history, um, if you look back in the 1800s, early 1900s, tariffs were way higher than they are today. And that's when the U.S. became a superpower. So I don't think, even though they've fallen since the Great Depression or so, I don't, I don't see that, that a big hike in tariffs really you know, changes the entire narrative of the economy. So I'm not too worried about that. And Maddie, to play off of what Aaron said, I mean, yeah, there are certainly a lot of companies out there that aren't directly affected by tariffs. but. There is the headline risk, and when it, it, particularly the volatility we've seen the last couple of weeks, it does play into this narrative of like, hey, selling is going on, so I'm going to sell shares of my restaurant stock, even though it's not it's not affected by steel tariffs in the same way that Caterpillar is. That's right. It's it's easy to dismiss what's going on as kind of short-term noise that we've had. You know, we've had tariffs in the past, and we're going to get through this. But uh, there is something to say that. We, we, ha- we are in a situation where input costs for certain companies are going up. We've had this period of time when margins for companies, corporate earnings and margins, have just been at record highs. And we've, we've looked for plenty of excuses to see when are those finally going to go down, whether it's uh, wages going higher, um, inflation, as we're seeing with input costs, if tariffs become an issue. So, you know, standing back from things, you have to say, well, maybe we are at a period where, because of what's going on, even though it's at the margin, it does affect profitability at the edge. And so, you know, depending on whether or not these tariffs, whatever they evolve into, whether we go into a full-blown trade war, I don't know. Um, But I I don't think they're as easily dismissible as we'd like to to think they might be. I mean, I'll just add that most of this narrative is around China. And China is an important trade partner, but there's the world is a lot bigger than just China. So, I mean, picking and choosing your spots, if you're really worried about tariffs, can save you a headache. Well, let's stick with that, because uh, as I mentioned, we're here for a member event. Uh, We're at the moment, we're in the lobby of the 
Four Seasons Hotel here in downtown Denver. Um, one of the things we're going to be talking about at the event on Thursday um, uh, with the two of you and with Bill Mann um, is uh, we're going to be having a, a cozy little uh, fireside chat. And by fireside, I mean on main stage in front of hundreds of people <laughs> um, talking about global investing. And so, Manny, I'll just start with you. Like, how are you, at this moment in time, how are you thinking about non US investing? Well, I, first of all, it's been, you think we've had volatility here with our U.S. stock market? I mean, the international markets, especially emerging markets and China, have experienced significant volatility for several years now. And we've talked on the show, you know, the Chinese stock market, I think, entered a bear market over the summer. Uh, the Shanghai index, the Shenzhen index, all both fell, are down at least 25% last I checked. So, that, as a foolish investor, long-term investor, that excites me. And I'm glad we're going to be talking about it with Bill Mann here in Denver, because I think there are a lot of opportunities. We, Aaron, Bill, and I recommended a lot of stocks about a month ago. Our timing looks absolutely awful right now, uh, especially you know some of the Chinese companies we recommended are down. Um, and I'll just give one example of that. Uh, IGE, which is a company we've talked about on the show, you know, quote-unquote, the Netflix of China, it IPO'd at $18 earlier this year, shot all the way up to almost $47. Uh, and now it's back to around twenty dollars. It's back to close to its IPO. Is it really total round trip? I got to put that on my watch list. Definitely. Or uh, I should. It was already on my watch list. I got to move it <laughs> higher on my watch list. And that's just one example of of what the kind of volatility we've seen in the market. And I see. And I'm sure Aaron will agree with me. I'm starting to see a lot of opportunities to potentially take advantage of. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I mean, part of what's interesting about international investing is. I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, there were way more companies in the US that traded publicly than internationally. But today, it's completely flipped. And the number of companies trading in the US has shrunk, and there are far more companies trading around the world. And as you know, other countries mature, their demographics move along, we're starting to see some pretty impressive innovation in a lot of different places, really like all over the world. And so, when I look out, Kind of looking through the volatility, there, there just is so much like awesome companies out there that are still able to be invested in. As a general rule of thumb, this is a question for both of you. When you start looking outside the U.S., do you start? How does your process begin? Does it begin geographically, or does it begin by industry? Um, I tend to be more bottoms up, so I'm just really looking for greatness wherever it is. But there definitely is a component of you know where it is located geopolitical risk is very much a factor but sometimes the best businesses come out of tough environments and being able to find businesses that excel in tough spots is often a really good sign I, and i'll say industry is an interesting way to put it because one of the things we focused on a month ago when we were recommending stocks for our new global partner service is we kind of steered away from the 3Ms and caterpillars of the world to use the two examples we talked about at the beginning of the show the companies that are Heavily capital intensive, you know, require lots of are very exposed to commodity prices and things like that. Instead, we're looking at companies that are I mentioned IGE, but companies that are really kind of on the cutting edge of their of their industries, technology companies, enterprise software, cloud-based companies, companies that we love and treasure here in the U.S. There's a lot of companies doing the same thing um, overseas. Atlassian, the Australian company, is another one we've talked about uh, as well, and so. There's a lot of great dynamics. Companies that we would call rule breakers, they don't only exist here in the U.S. or out in Silicon Valley. They're all over the world, and I love the fact, I love uncovering them with Aaron. And I think uh, you know the volatility that we've seen <laughs> recently is popping up a lot more interesting opportunities. Our email address is marketfoolery@fool.com. Got a question from speaking of international investing. Got a question from Karan Anand. 
hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Karan, uh, from Dubai. The email begins, I started investing in U.S. stocks in 2013 after listening to a few of your podcasts. It's been very satisfying to either see investments play out or learn something important. I like that. I like that, it's, I like that it starts with our podcast. I like that it's also, eh, some of them work out. And when they don't work out, eh, well, I try and take a little <laughs> learning from it. So that's a great thing to do as an investor. Uh, it's also been very educational as a small business owner to understand how businesses could be analyzed, valued, and CEO performance scrutinized. One of my recent investments was Tencent Holdings. My question is more about the announced spin-off IPO of Tencent Music Entertainment. As an existing shareholder of Tencent Holdings, do I miss out on this part of the business or do I automatically receive Tencent Music Entertainment shares? Is this similar to what happened to eBay and PayPal? Are there any differences in how it's handled because it's a Chinese stock? I know that's technically three questions, but hopefully you'll let that slip by. Thanks again. Uh, great question. Aaron? If, if you're a shareholder of Tencent Holdings, um, eventually when Tencent Music Entertainment spins off, do you automatically get those shares? You don't have to do anything. So this isn't a complete spin out. This is a partial spin off or they're raising money in public markets. So right now, Tencent owns majority stake in Tencent Music. And after the IPO, they will continue to own the majority stake. So just by owning Tencent itself, you will own a piece of Tencent Music. Of course, you could go in and buy more, but it'll just be automatic, still there. That's beautiful. I love not having to do anything. Um, he mentioned um, eBay and PayPal. Um, I was an eBay shareholder, and so as a result of that, I'm a PayPal shareholder. Uh, I'm curious, and I think this is the first time I've been involved in a spinoff like that. Um, it's worked out pretty okay for eBay. It's worked out quite well for PayPal. Um, I'm curious though, Matty, if you've been involved in spinoffs before where the spinoff happens and you automatically make a decision about one of those two companies. Because I was always going to sit back and even though at the time I thought, I think PayPal's going to do better, I, I still felt confident enough in eBay that I was going to hold on to those shares. But I'm curious if you've been in situations where you're like, oh, this, is, this good thing's being spun off, I'm dumping the other one. You know, I can't recall, thinking back, a situation that I've had, but I was also an eBay shareholder when that happened. And even though I kept my eBay shares, I remember at the time I was like, you know, I'm glad I'm getting PayPal shares and I should I should probably add to my position in this one because my you know, I was kind of cut in half a little bit. You know, my I wanted I should have had more exposure to PayPal. And looking back, of course, that would have been smarter too. Uh, but no, I can't think of a situation. I think generally spin-offs tend to be undervalued in the market, at least initially. Um, and oftentimes, um, they're good places to actually add more capital. Don't get diluted out of the good thing, because the good thing is generally being spun off. By the way, is, I know that there aren't absolutes in investing when it comes to, you know, quote-unquote, uh, buy signals or sell signals. But as close to perfect as I can think of is a company splits and the CEO decides to go with one of the two companies. And I'm, I, I, like, I'm just thinking of Meg Whitman when Hewlett Packard split. And she said, oh, I'm going to go with this one. And I just remember thinking at the time, she's a smart woman. I'm pretty sure that's going to be the better business to invest in. That seems like as, as 
big a lock as there could be. Follow the leader in those situations. <laughs> Definitely follow the leader. All right. I know you guys are going to get out to our uh, Colorado office. Uh, so I appreciate you uh, hanging with me here in the lobby of the Four Seasons. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Aaron Bush, Matt Argusinger, thanks for being here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on The Motley Fool, may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed on the road by the one and only Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.